You're listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast by Dr. Robert Shaw. For a complete archive of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. Well, amen. Thank you all. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. I've been studying through 1 and 2 Peter this summer and we're coming toward the end of 2 Peter and Peter has written to a group of believers scattered around the world that he loves dearly who are suffering persecution and one of the things they were suffering was this oppression by liars, by people who were teaching a false doctrine and so he's going to talk about false teachers. I don't know about you but uh, I don't like fakes. I don't like people that are fake. I don't like things that are fake. I certainly don't like it if it's sold to you as being the genuine article and you find out after you get it that it was a fake. One of the things I got to do a few years back, in fact, for about six years in a row, I spoke at a camp right outside of San Diego, California. And uh, the group of people that I travel there with, every year we would always travel just those few miles south of San Diego down into Tijuana, Mexico. And uh, crossing the border, I don't know if it was, it was because I always travel with these two guys down there, and I don't know if it's because I was older or just looked smarter, uh, but I was always the one they approached. As soon as we crossed the border into Tijuana, there were people there trying to sell you things. And uh, for some reason, they thought my name was Amigo because that's what they continued to call me. And they, Amigo, come here. And they were selling me all these things, whether it be blankets or whatever. And uh, I'd been there before and had seen this one little corner shop that I went back to the second time that I went there because I like watches. And so I'd gone into this thing, and they had there uh, a lot of stuff in the shop. It wasn't just a jewelry store. They had, you know, the, the Mexican blankets, and they sold vanilla and uh, little dolls and puppets, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but one of the things they had was watches. So I'm looking around the watch case, and the guy, as soon as they knew, you know, as soon as the salesman knew that I was interested in the watches, of course, he came over, and he had apparently heard my name also was Amigo. And so he said, Amigo, I've got a deal for you. And I was like, well, that's great. I was looking, and they had, under the case, behind the glass, locked up because they're very valuable, they had Rolex watches. So I'm looking at the Rolex watches, and I was like, well, you know, I, I've always wondered about, I said, how much are these Rolex watches? He said, sir, for you. So I'm getting a deal that nobody else is getting. And again, it's because my name is Amigo. And so he said, for you, sir, $50. I thought, man, 50 bucks for a Rolex watch, because Rolex watches cost thousands of dollars. I mean, some of them are $10,000. So I thought, man, I, this guy, he doesn't know who he's dealing with, man. <laughs> I didn't have 50 bucks, but I thought, man, I, you know, I've heard they'll bargain with you, so I'm thinking, I'm going to get this guy down on this price a little bit. So I said, well, let me see it. As soon as I held it in my hand, I realized this wasn't a real Rolex watch. It, it was real lightweight. It, uh, uh, it, it, the second hand, you know, kind of did the little quartz movement. And uh, I'll tell you a few ways to spot a fake Rolex. Uh, number one, if, it, if the word is spelled R-O-L-A-I-D-S, that's not a Rolex. That's an antacid tablets that your parents take. If the, if the face is a little skewed or if the second hand does this, so I, I looked at him, I said, sir, the, you know, this isn't, this isn't real. He said, $25. <laughs> you know, he's thinking, man, I, you know, this guy is smart. I, I, I can't sell it to him for $50. The other way you know it's not a real one is if they're selling it to you for 25 bucks. The only way you're going to get a $25 Rolex is if it's stolen. And uh, they're just trying to get 25 bucks out of you. And so I finally bargained with the guy. Finally, I didn't mean to, but I made him mad. After a while, he said, sir, you win. I know eat today. 
I'm like, wait a minute, I'm about to give you money, but you're not going to get to eat today because I'm buying your $50 Rolex for 12 you know, whatever we got it down to. I think I ended up paying $12 for the Rolex, and he threw in a bottle of vanilla and a blanket. <laughs> and you say, well, why would you buy a Rolex watch? Well, I just wanted to be able to tell you the story about my Rolex watch experience. But after I finally made him mad, telling him, you know, sir, I'm, I'm holding this watch. Listen to this. That, that doesn't sound like a Rolex, all right? And I finally said, you know, this isn't real. And he looked at me, kind of, he was indignant, kind of looked at me and said, Sir, it is a genuine replica. <laughs> what does that mean? What is something, if it's a genuine replica, what does that mean? It means it's a really good fake. Well, I've got the watch here. It worked until I got out of Mexico. <laughs> I'm serious. The second hand hadn't moved since. The date, it's got the little date thing up here. It's got the little... You know, the number here and the day of the week, whether it's Monday or whatever, had all that up there. I mean, this was, I was thinking, well, I'll still wear this thing. It looks good. It says Rolex. Y'all want to check it out? Verify that it actually says Rolex, but you can tell as soon as you touch it that it's not real because it doesn't weigh anything, does it? It says Rolex, right. Genuine replica. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. There are people that had come into the church that were genuine replicas. What does that mean? It means they're fake. It means that they look good until closer observation. If you don't scrutinize what they look like, if you don't scrutinize what they're saying, you could be tricked into thinking they were the genuine article. Look what Peter says in chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. First thing I want you to see in these first three verses is the warning. Peter wants to warn these people that he loves dearly. He has just talked to them in the preceding passage about prophecy. And he said even in the midst of this prophecy that was from God in the Old Testament, there were faults. Prophets. In fact, the word is pseudo. Pseudo prophets. They were fakes. And he said, even so, even like they were fake prophets in the Old Testament, they're going to be fake teachers among you that come in and it, and it sounds almost right. If you don't know the truth, then you're going to get misled by some of the teaching of these false teachers. Literally, propagators of erroneous Christian doctrine. These are people that are, tri that are teachers in the church who are teaching things that aren't true. Now, how do you know something's not true? 
Well, the way you know something that is being said is not true is if you know what the truth is. I've heard bank tellers say that, you know, I would think there's counterfeit bills out there, so one of the ways they would train bank tellers is just to show them what all the counterfeits look like. And someone said, no, we don't do that at our bank. We just only let them touch the real thing. So they become so acquainted with what the real thing looks like that if a fake one ever crosses their path, they recognize immediately, wait a minute, this isn't the real thing. So how are we going to know that these false teachers are false? Well, we need to know the real thing. And here is the deceptive pattern of these false teachers. It says they have come in among you. These aren't outsiders. These are insiders that have infiltrated their way into the church. That's who Peter is warning them about. And, folks, Peter's not just warning them nearly 2,000 years ago about it. He's warning us today. This is a word for us today. The Bible says that in the last days, these kind of things. Jesus, when he talks to his disciples about his return over in Matthew chapter 24, he said one of the signs of the end, one of the ways you'll know that Jesus Christ is about to come back is that they are going to be false teachers, even false messiahs, even people claiming to be the Messiah. And so Peter writes us here about these false teachers who are among you, not outsiders, inside, and they secretly introduce, they, they lead in these deceptive heresies. What do they do? They mix truth with error. They get this all the way back. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, when Satan tempted Eve and, and tempted Adam in the garden, he didn't come in with this huge big cake and say, here, this is a lie. Would you please eat this? He came in and said, has God not said? And some of what he would try to say, it sounded like God. It's just he twisted it. When Satan tempted Jesus, if you go back to Matthew's gospel and you see Jesus being tempted by the devil, he would quote scripture, but he would twist it. And he didn't quote the truth. He would subtly change it. And how did Jesus overcome that temptation? Three big times that we see Jesus tempted, whether it was to turn the stones into bread or to cast himself off the temple or to bow down and worship the devil, in every case, do you notice something similar that he does every time, the way he overcome temptation, the way he overcame temptation? He quoted Scripture every time. Satan tried to slip it past him, and Jesus said, no, wait a minute, because the Bible says man shall not live by bread alone. The Bible says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The Bible says... You worship me and me only. So these secret, the, this secret heresy that comes in is destructive. I want you to catch the word destructive because you're going to hear it three times in these nine verses. And it's the word that, same root word that we get the word perish from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not what? Would not perish but have everlasting life. So it's God, not God's purpose for you to perish and yet what these people's purpose is, they're bringing in heresy. They're bringing in teaching that would cause you to perish. It would cause you to be led astray. And instead of following God, you would follow these destructive heresy. The word heresy means this. Originally, it simply meant to make a choice. That's what the word meant. And here's what these false teachers are doing. They're trying to get you to choose a lie over choosing the truth. They even deny the master. Now, here's the, here's the mode of operation of these false teachers. Again, just like Satan didn't go to Adam and Eve in the garden and say, Hey, I'm the devil. Notice my pitchfork and my pointy tail? No, he comes as an angel of light. And he doesn't come in with the whole big cake and say, Here, try to swallow this whole. He just tries to get you to start nibbling around the edges of it. And that's how Satan works. 
if he can just kind of get you nibbling on it and get your attention distracted away from God, then before you know it, you've eaten the whole thing. These destructive heresies, even to the point where they would deny the master. One of the sure signs of a false teacher is one who denies the master. In fact, the word that he uses is deny the master who has bought them. That means to redeem out of the marketplace. How did God buy us? What price did he pay? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, for all is sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death. But it goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life. What does he mean? He bought us out of the marketplace. We had been sold into slavery of the world. And God came into the marketplace and said, because I love you, I will pay the price for you. And what was the price? The price was the life of Jesus. He sent his only son to die on a cross and pay a price that you couldn't possibly pay. But he did it because he loved you. These folks who would even deny the master. But he says they bring upon themselves swift destruction. This is going to happen quickly. And again, there's that word, destruction. Even though they're trying to sell you something that will lead you to perish, they themselves will ultimately perish. But here's the dangerous thing. It says many will follow them. Literally, many will imitate their lead. Many will follow their leadership. I had someone ask me one time, Robert, will there be more people in heaven or more people in hell? I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. But if you go back, if you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 7. Because this is why this is so important. And this is why I believe Peter, from a broken heart over people that he loved dearly, that he considered his own children, is writing this warning to them. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus' teaching says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. So one of the scary things about the false teachers is they're going to have a lot of followers. Well, one of the things we notice about false teachers is just because they've got a lot of people following them doesn't necessarily mean they're going the right way. Has your mother ever said to you, if everybody jumped off the building, would you jump off the building? Have <laughs> you ever heard that? If everybody did this, would you do it? And you're like, no, Mom, I'm not that dumb. <laughs> well, the dangerous thing is these false teachers are going to have a lot of people following them, and sometimes we're going to think, well, they must be right. Look at the crowd. Look at the people that are following them. And yet, through them, the truth is maligned. The word malign literally means to be blasphemed. Old Testament, thou shalt not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Thou shalt not blaspheme. Thou shalt not malign the name of God. And yet through them, their truth will be, the truth will be maligned, and their motive is their greed. It goes on in this first three verses to talk about they're, they're literally extorting you. Because of their greed, they will be a peddler. They will exploit you and use false words. In the same way that God bought you out of the marketplace, they go to the marketplace too. But it's not to buy you, it's not to redeem you, it's not to help you, it's to sell you back into slavery. God paid the ultimate price to buy you if you're a child of God. These folks would like to lead you away from that and keep you from ever trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. And they're peddling you for any price. In fact, it says they use false words. The word false there is the word we get our word plastic from. When I was growing up, not as much stuff was made by plastic. 
and I don't even hear this much anymore. People would look at stuff and, you know, it looked like wood, but upon closer examination, you realize this isn't wood, this is plastic. Or it looked like metal, but you're like, this isn't metal, this is plastic. Or it looked like glass, but it really wasn't, it was plastic. Now teenagers, I think, kind of look at stuff and say, man, I don't want that, that's wood, and I want it, I want plastic. You know, I, I think we've perfected plastic to the point that pretty much everything we got is made out of plastic. But it's not the genuine article. It's just made to look like it. And in some cases, it can kind of be good. It doesn't break as easy as some of those things. So how do we spot a false teacher? I've just got a few things that I'll put on the screen. How to, how to spot a false teacher? First of all, check their motive. Follow the money. Their motive is greed. Their aim is deception. They don't want you to know the truth. They want you to follow them. They'll deny Christ. Hear their answer to the question, what's the way to eternal life? How do we get to God? If they come up with some answer other than what Jesus said, and that is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Then they're a false teacher. Number four, they, they may have many followers. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, he's talking about television preachers. <laughs> They've got these many followers. Listen, just because somebody has a big church doesn't necessarily mean they're a false teacher, okay? Just because some, some person is saying things with nice-sounding words doesn't mean they're a false teacher. What do you have to do? You've got to come back to, is their motive greed? Is it all about money? Is their aim deception? Are they tricking people by using half-truths? Are they saying something is the Word of God, and then upon closer examination you realize, that's not in the Bible? Do they deny Christ? And again, it, it may be that they do all those things and have a lot of people following them. Be very careful. So let's look at the judgment. I think for the believers in Peter's day and even the believers in our day, you could look and say, does God not see what's going on? Does God not care? Does God not have the power to put a stop to this? Well, the answer to all of those is yes. God does see what's going on. They're not sneaking anything by Him. God does care. Why? Because God hates sin god doesn't wink at sin i think some people kind of think that they kind of think that god's just kind of going well you know i i realize that's really not true no god hates sin and is god not powerful absolutely he's powerful in fact he's already said their judgment is not idle their destruction is not asleep why does god get so mad about this well parents how would you feel if somebody lied to your child how would you feel if somebody came to your child and said, you know, I, your parents told you not to play with that, but I've got it on good authority. They don't know what they're talking about, and this would be really good for you to take this or try this or go to this place. As a parent, and you'd call the police, you'd try to do everything you could to keep your child away from that individual if they were leading them astray. Well, God feels the same way about you. As a child of God, God hates those. He hates the sin of those that would try to lead his children astray. And some of these people come like wolves in sheep's clothing. And so he gives some ifs. He said, just in case you're wondering if God is not going to do something about this, let's just go back in history. If God did not spare angels, first of all, the first if that he gives is, and he's not talking about did this happen or not, he's, it really a better word might be since. Since God did not spare angels, but cast them out of heaven that sinned. Because God did not spare the ancient world. And he brings up Noah and the ark. He brings up the fact that because of the wickedness that was on the face of the earth, that he 
created a flood that flooded. In fact, the Bible says it covered the, the peaks of the highest mountain. If, if that's how God deals with sin, if God did not spare and God condemned the ancient cities, specifically Sodom and Gomorrah, destroying them by fire, then, if God did that, if that's how God felt about sin, then let history be your teacher. Yes, God does notice. Yes, God does care, and God is powerful. Now, later on, Peter's going to ask the question, then why does he take so long to do it? And some would say, well, it's because he's too slow. No, it's not that he's too slow. It's that he's too loving. Not that he's too loving, but God is loving, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so God is patient. Aren't you glad that he is? But in the meantime, don't be led astray by these false teachers and this heretical view. In fact, he said, you look at the angels, you look at the ancient world destroyed by a flood, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, and let it be an example. Let it be an example that God made for these people of what not to do. And then we come to the rescue. And out of that, if God did this, if God did not spare angels, if God did not spare the ancient cities, if God uh, did not spare the ancient world, then God can rescue you. And he's already up in, the, in verses 5 through 6 talked about Noah. He said that he preserved Noah. I like that word. It kind of reminds me of life preserver, and that's what God did. He threw a life preserver in the form of an ark to save them from the flood. Not just Noah, but Noah's wife and his three sons and their wives and the animals. He saved them. And he said, because Noah was a preacher of righteousness. When I read that this week, I thought, when did Noah do his preaching? I don't guess it was after the flood. He had a small congregation at that point. Noah had preached this before the flood. How long from the time that God said he was going to send a flood until the ark was built, how much time passed? Never thought about that? You know, he didn't get a kit from, like, Home Depot to build this ark. Anybody want to guess about how long it took? 120 years. I think sometimes we're shocked by that. We're kind of thinking, wait a minute. God said it was going to happen, and Noah started building this ark, and he went around preaching to people, hey, God's going to send a flood. You ought to get on the ark. You ought to get your life right with Christ or with God in this case. And they, they rejected that. In fact, I, kind of, I just have this vivid imagination, especially, you know, maybe the first year people kind of thought, well, you know, Noah's building that ark. Maybe we ought to pay attention to him. And five years passed, ten years passed. I would imagine Noah became, for some, the laughing stock of the neighborhood or the world of that time. What's he doing? He's still building the ark? It's been 50 years. Let's take the grandkids over there. Just ask him. Ask him what he's doing. Mr. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. Daddy, why is he building an ark? I don't, I just ask him. Ask him. Mr. Noah, why are you building an ark? Because it's going to flood. Daddy, what's a flood? <laughs> we don't know. He thinks, he thinks the world's coming to an end. He thinks God's going to flood the planet. And if you're not on this ark, you're in trouble. Daddy, something's wrong with Noah. <laughs> 50 years, 70 years, 100 years go by. And what happens? 120 years after the initial pronouncement starts to rain. Most scholars believe they'd never seen it rain before at that time. That If you go back and read in Genesis, the world was uh, watered by springs and a mist and that kind of thing and all of a sudden God just opens up the springs and opens up the heavens and floods the earth 
You look at Lot, it says righteous Lot. You can look at a lot of things in Lot's life that weren't real righteous, but yet when you read about Lot here and you read about Lot in Hebrews 11, the one thing about Lot was he had placed his faith in Almighty God. That was the only reason he was counted as righteous, because he made some mistakes. He did some things that weren't right. And yet he was spared out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Peter's using an example of that. In fact, he, he goes on to talk about righteous Lot who was oppressed. Here's what happened in Lot's day. I talked to you a little bit about Noah. In Lot's day, these men oppressed him day after day. In fact, the word oppressed means to bring to exhaustion by wearing you down. Maybe not a good illustration, but moms, have your kids ever come and asked for permission to do something? And you told them no. And they just wore you down. <laughs> they just, mommy, but mommy can't. You know, either by crying or, you know, by pitching a fit or just keep asking. You finally just say, okay, you know, <laughs> give me some relief. Well, that didn't happen for a lot. It says they oppressed him. They tried to wear him down. And yet God counted him as righteous. And I love the word. It's the word rescue. And, it, and Peter's used this if example of if God did this, if God did this, if God did this. And you need to know something. He's able to rescue you. What does the word rescue mean? It means somebody that rushes to your aid. I read this week about a Medal of Honor recipient out of World War II. I just want to, I'm going to briefly read you his story. To reach the home of Desmond T. Doss near Rising Fawn, Georgia, north, north part of Georgia, you take the Desmond T. Doss Medal of Honor Highway. As a 20-year-old in 1945, the shy, slim man became one of the most famous and unusual heroes of World War II. He was a strict believer in the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill, and so he refused to bear arms. But he was willing to serve as a medic, one of the most dangerous jobs in the Army had to offer. One day on the Pacific island of Okinawa, Private Dawes rescued almost a whole company of men who had been cut down by Japanese fire while trying to capture an important hilltop. Crawling out among bullets and shell bursts, he dragged the wounded one by one to a sheltered spot behind a rock. He tied a double, line bow, a double bowline knot around their chest and legs and lowered them over a 35-foot cliff to safety. In his own words, he prayed, Dear God, let me just get one more. It took him all day but he got them all. The army estimated he had saved 75 lives. In his own words, he said, We had orders to withdraw, but I couldn't leave my men. In combat, you get very closely attached to each other. When you see your buddy hit, you just can't leave him out there. It's like a mother with a house on fire. She don't think of herself. She's thinking about that child. And that's the way I felt about my men. Exposing himself to mortars, grenades, and machine guns, he crawled into open and dragged the wounded back to cover. The army at first said he had rescued 100. I don't see how it could have been more than 50. I still don't. So they settled on 75. I didn't think I'd get killed, but I felt it would be worth getting wounded if I could save just one more man. I kept praying for the Lord to help me, and he did. The battle started on April 29th. It was May 5th when Doss performed the principal deeds that resulted in his winning the Medal of Honor the nation's highest award for heroism. President Harry S. Truman himself placed the medal around his neck on the White House lawn on October 1945, April 2nd. Private Doss rescued his men. But a bigger story than that is the fact that God stands to rescue you. 
And I love the fact that it says, if he can do all those things, then God knows how to rescue you from temptation. Here's the truth about God. God doesn't keep you from temptation. And maybe one of the questions to ask yourself is, is it a sin to be tempted? Well, no, it's not a sin to be tempted because the Bible says that we have a Savior, Jesus, who was tempted in every way that we are, and yet without sin. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. In fact, Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 10, says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. What's Peter saying to these people, and what's the Word of God saying to you this morning? Listen, God's able. God's able to flex holy muscles in your life. The same God that could judge and carry out punishment upon those, those in the Old Testament. That's the same God today when you're tempted. Even if you're oppressed like Lot was, it seems like the enemy's just trying to wear you down. What do we do when we face temptation? We turn to God. We turn to God and say, God, I know the Bible tells me that you're able. In fact, the Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians 13 that you will provide a way of escape. So, God, I don't see the door. I don't see the window. But, God, help me. And God provides a way out. See, the easy way out of temptation is just to surrender to it. Why? Because then the pressure's off. And yet what happens when that happens? Then we end up feeling guilty. We end up having relationship issues with God. And we feel guilty. And God says, hey, you know what? I forgive you. But I don't want you living your life like that. I want you to understand that's something. I paid the penalty for your sin. And now I provide a way of escape for temptation. And the last thing that he says is, just a reminder, the same God that knows how to rescue those that are tempted also knows how to keep under punishment for the day of judgment those who are ungodly. And he goes on, really, the rest of chapter 2 is to talk about those folks. You can read that in your own time. Here's the good news about God. God is able, and God loves you. And God doesn't want you led astray by a lie. He wants you to know the truth. And when you come to the truth, he wants you to know that he's able to protect you in it. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Father.